subject. So please rem let me remind you that I'm not saying that a person who doesn't fully yet agree on a six-day creation, which is obviously the place where I sit, uh, that you know somehow they're not the Lord's. But I do think you have an issue with the Bible. That is where the issue is. And uh, Phil's given me this title, Doesn't Science Disprove the Bible? So immediately, when you sort of are looking at that, you're thinking, well, just a minute, what are we saying the science is and what do we say um, concerning God and concerning, you know, concerning how these, these two matters interact? And what I want to show you is that really... Number one, it's highly relevant. Just this week, as we just introduced this subject, just this week, you know you had a, uh, uh, Andrea, um, uh, uh, sorry, um, Andrea Williams, get it right, yes, from Christian Concern for Our Nation. She was here this last week, and I would have, uh, or a week ago, I would have loved to have come to that meeting on the Saturday, I know she spoke on the Sunday as well, but I just couldn't be in two places, so... Uh, I was down in Northampton. But Andrea's been on television, both with Philip Schofield, who gave her a very hard time on This Morning on ITV, with, um, what's his name, Joshua Sutcliffe, who was the teacher who was ejected simply because he was, he, he basically just made a mistake um, in using girls for a group of what, well, basically it was all girls, but one of them wanted to be called a boy. And so that became a big issue, as you probably know, if you hadn't come across this, that's what happened this week. So he lost his job over it. Well, she was on again, not with Joshua this time, but she was on with uh, Piers Morgan on ITV, I think it was this morning. And that was a much more balanced programme, but it was showing that the Church of England had really made an utter mess over this issue because they had not taken a stand to say, well, this is what the Bible says, that in the beginning God made them male and female. So you see immediately, as I was saying in, when we were interviewed, that it has big implications, because if in fact we did come out of the slime, you know, millions of years ago, and some, forgive me for saying this, but some Christians really do believe that. Somehow they hold the two together. Well, the problem is, as soon as you do that, you're basically saying, well, that the atheists and the secularists, like obviously um, Philip Schofield was coming from a secularist angle as he was trying to say, as he said at the end of the interview, oh, let's get away from this medieval stuff. Let's get into the 21st century. That's how he ended the interview, the first one, which was about... Monday, Tuesday, whenever it was, this morning. That's how it ended. And he was really angry. He was actually getting angry with Andrea and with uh, Joshua Sutcliffe. So clearly the secularists really do believe that we came out of the slime. Just to put it crudely, that's really what they're believing. But now if Christians also say that, but say, ah, oh, but eventually God produced a human being and Adam, you know, was... Well, they may not necessarily believe even in a literal atom. They may say, oh, it was just, it was some sort of vague group of people from which we came and there was other human beings as well. And then eventually, yes, they believe that after Genesis 12, when Abraham comes along, yeah, that's real history. That's what they usually say. 
So Genesis 1 to 11 has basically gone out of the window as real history. Well, the problem comes that if you're going to actually say, well, I do believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not doubting the fact that many of these folk who are Christians really do believe that Christ has become their saviour, that when it comes to the issue of now dealing with the transgenderism agenda, with the homosexual agenda and all these other stuff, which is it's becoming big time, a huge problem now for Christians in education, Christians in any public sphere. If you're a judge, if you're a doctor, you're going to find it more and more difficult. Well, what's going to happen is that Christians are going to have to say, well, um, I, I, I don't... I don't believe that. But on what basis can they say that they don't believe it? When you've actually got the Church of England in this particular case, or it may be another church, which is actually undermining the very position of what the Bible says. You've got real issues. I'm going to show you that, number one, the science actually is not right. And so when we talk about science disproving the Bible, they haven't actually got the right understanding as to the science anyway when people say well hasn't science disproved the bible it's not what you think science if it's real science and i'm going to ask these questions now what is science who is god I'm going to give one or two examples of famous scientists probably won't get onto the examples of science because i'm really more trying to deal with the implications of all this tonight so when we address these questions, what is science and who is God, and then we'll come to what does the Bible say, then once you get clarity as to what is real science, science is just another word for knowledge, right? So what is the real knowledge? What really are proven facts? We're going to find that evolution is not in that category. It's not a proven fact. What is science? Well, science... What I've been doing for the last 30 years is testable. So you can go into the laboratory and test it out. If somebody says that hydrogen and oxygen produces water, you get a bit of hydrogen, you have to be careful with it. Get some air with oxygen in it. You get a flame, you have to be careful, and it produces water. So it constantly does that. So you know that that is true. That's a fact. But when people say that coming out of the slime is their view as to where we've come from, you're going to find in a moment that that is not science. That is just opinions. Science, also remember, can only operate in the physical world. So it's not the answer to everything. It can never be, because there are some things which are not to do with the physical world. Have you heard this? Science has all the answers. Have you heard people say that? Now, okay, that will be the secular people, the people like... I was saying Philip Schofield, who, you know, was really laying in to Andrea. It was an awful interview. In fact, he should be had up for the way that he treated Andrea and the way he treated Joshua Sutcliffe. But uh, <laughs> nothing will happen like that, as you well know. We're living in a very, very anti-Christian atmosphere today. Now, those guys will say science has all the answers. Is that true? No, it's not. It's false. Because, as I've just said, science deals with the physics and the chemistry. It deals with the physical world. It deals with the what. It deals with how do things work. 
it doesn't deal usually with the question why. Now, there will be some questions why, like why did it go wrong? Why did the Boeing 777, you know, lose its way and end up at the bottom of somewhere in the Indian Ocean? You know, the Malaysian Airlines one, which we've still lost, we haven't found. So eventually, hopefully, it will be found and the answer to all those questions as to why it happened will be found. So obviously science will deal with some of those why questions, but it doesn't deal with the fundamental why. Why are we here at all? Why is there a world? Why is there a universe? Who am I? Where do I come from? It never deals with those questions. It can't. It cannot deal with the issues of purpose and it cannot deal with the issues of meaning because all it can do is describe and work out very important, I mean, the, the wonderful discoveries that were made as a result really goes back to the Reformation, which then led to the rise of science, particularly in this country, but also in other places as well in Europe. And people then began to ask really serious questions about the world and how it worked. So, yeah, that's fine, but it's limited. That's the issue that I'm trying to get to you but science is not just testable it's repeatable so when you actually do an experiment like i said hydrogen and oxygen it always produces water you know it's always going to do exactly the same there are laws which you can then formulate you the technical term is you put a hypothesis then you test the hypothesis in the laboratory then because it constantly always does this repeatable chain of whatever it is that it's doing you say well there is a law there of physics and newton or a law of chemistry in that case newton and others set up laws which basically described the phenomena which they'd seen in the laboratory now origins by definition is not open to being repeatable i cannot just go into a laboratory and form a universe you know because as far as we know, there's only one. And <laughs> to be frank, this idea of a multiverse is really a cop-out. You know, there is only one universe. You can't go in and do that again because God did it. Of course, we're saying God did it. The atheists will sort of say, well, I don't believe in God. But at least he has to admit that Origins is not open to repeatable experiments. Now, have you heard this, that scientists don't believe in God? You see, the way Brian Cox speaks on BBC on all his programmes, he's really a sort of replacement of David Attenborough, sort of being groomed for it, you know, that's what it seems to be. And uh, <clears throat> Well, the way he speaks, you get the impression that in order to do science, you've got to lose any idea of a belief in God. Now, is that true? No, it's false. It's not, it's not true at all. I've mentioned Newton. Now, Newton didn't believe, as far as we can make out, in the Trinity, but he did believe in God. Um, he had a few issues with the Trinity, but he did read the Bible avidly. He knew his Bible extremely well. He wrote on all sorts of things to do with biblical subjects, which I won't go into now. Boyle, whom you may have heard of, those of you who've done a bit of science may have you may just vaguely remember in your science lessons that there was a, a law called Boyle's Law, which was to do with pressure and volume. Don't worry about it. But, you know, that the, the Boyle was a godly gentleman 
who with Newton formed the Royal Society. About 150 years or so later, Faraday was one of the most godly gentlemen who was involved in a rather like a brethren church in his day, the Sandemanians. And he found the connection between electricity and magnetism. And he proved that whether there's an electric field, there is a magnetic field. And that actually you can go in the reverse as well. There is always this connection between electricity and magnetism. He, he discovered many other things as well, but that's what he's particularly known for. And he was no doubt a believer because he said that um, on one occasion when Queen Victoria and Prince Albert were in the audience, he did many lectures at the Royal Institution in London. Particularly he did them for children, but he also did them for adults as well. And on one occasion, he said, these things that I've shown you are nothing compared with something far greater, for the invisible things of God are clearly seen being understood by the things that are known. Uh, things that, yeah, the invisible things of God he quoted Romans 1 verse 20, basically, and he was well known for his Christian belief. Kepler was a, a great Christian who also understood the way the planets move. Maxwell died before he was 50. He was a Scotsman uh, and he worked a lot at the Cavendish Laboratory in Cambridge. And he was the one who predicted what the speed of light would be just by looking at mathematics. He was a brilliant mathematician. And uh, very sadly, he died before he was 50, but did these amazing discoveries. Later, the speed of light was measured, and it was exactly what Maxwell had said. Now, Maxwell, when you read his writings, wrote prayers out to Almighty God. We have records of what he wrote concerning his strong belief in the Bible. There is absolutely no doubt that Maxwell and Faraday were strong believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so that Einstein um, refers to Maxwell and says that he was greater than he. So he, Einstein revered the memory of Maxwell. Brilliant scientist, but also a believer. Kelvin, you may have heard of him, and Louis Pasteur, where we get the idea of pasteurized milk, that all comes back to Louis Pasteur in France. So these are very great men. So they give the lie to this point or this statement that scientists don't believe in God. It's false, and as I've already mentioned when I was being interviewed, although I don't agree totally with John Lennox, he's probably the most well-known um, scientist who believes in God. He doesn't accept a six literal day creation, which is a bit sad. But um, so he sort of made a bit of a compromise there. But he does believe in a literal Adam, and he does accept that there uh, that in order to withstand the onslaught against ethics today, we have to make a strong stand on the fact that Christ and the Bible are true. And that cannot be denied by the atheists who are trying to sort of say that there is no such thing as a Christian scientist. He stands very clearly against atheism. So 
I I made the I made the point then that at the beginning that I was going to look at what is science, who is God, famous scientists. I'll just mention one scientific invention which really shows to us that the idea that science somehow has the answer to everything without God being there is frankly totally wrong. When you look at a leaf which is absorbing the sunshine, do you realise that a leaf has immense machinery in it which cannot be answered by an atheistic mindset? A leaf, just a leaf on its own attached to a tree, there's so many of them, is doing a huge amount of work. It's taking in the energy and there's a thing called chlorophyll, a chemical called chlorophyll, which causes there to be, I won't go into all the detail, causes there to be a reaction such that the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere combines with the water which is in the plant and the energy coming in from the sun is then absorbed and forms sugar and oxygen. But that is, this. the technical term for this is photosynthesis. Now photosynthesis is a very, very complicated chemical phenomenon. And it requires a number of things which have to be, like, have to be right. Some of you may have solar cells. Bradford's known for its sunshine, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, anyway, think of a solar cell. Think, think that you're in Barcelona, you know, and there's, the sun is beating down and you've got this solar cell and it converts the, elect uh, the, the sun's energy into electricity, right? That's what a solar cell does. Well, a leaf is like a solar cell. It's doing it in a chemical way. And you've got to have the chlorophyll there. You've got to have all the cells ready to absorb the energy just in the way that I've been saying. I won't go into further detail, but it's actually an amazing example of science needing not just one thing to be right, but many things to be right. Now, there is a, a term that you may hear occasionally used, which is that, it's complex, but it's not just one thing at a time complex. It's that all the things have to be there together. We call it irreducibly complex. So a leaf, just a leaf, and the surface reactions that are going on is irreducibly complex. You've got to have the chlorophyll there. You've got to have the, the sugar there. Uh, sorry, you've got to have the water there and the carbon dioxide, the ability to absorb the carbon dioxide. And it's a very complicated reaction. So a solar cell, think of it as a solar cell, wouldn't arrive without somebody knowing what they were doing. You've got to have design, in other words, for that to happen. So let me now just come to the other aspect of what we were had in our title doesn't science disprove the Bible? Now, what, of course, the, the people who are using that sentence or that question against us are saying is that what they're trying to say 
is that science has disproved any notion that we've come by creation by God. I've already said to you that origins is not repeatable. So they cannot actually show you an experiment which shows an ape man gradually turning into a man. For that, they would have to do something in the laboratory which would actually show that this occurred and it never does. As you well know, we always produce people. Apes always produce apes. So now we need to come back to the Bible and be utterly clear that the Bible also doesn't teach this. There is no wriggle room in the Bible, if we really believe the Bible, for any evolutionary scenario, because it's usually with evolution in mind that they say, hasn't science disproved the Bible? Actually, I'll come back to the science, but let me now just move on to what the scriptures actually say. All the way through the Bible, if we're a Christian, we have to believe that the Bible is teaching that death came as a result of sin. I'll come back to what the science really says in a moment, okay? But what I've sought to show to you thus far is that the real science hasn't said anything about origins with any firm dogmatic statement. It cannot, because you cannot repeat the experiment. The real science, when we actually look at people, just simply says, we're here, we produce human beings, we don't produce apes today, apes produce apes, monkeys produce monkeys, and so on. That everything, as it says in the scripture, in Genesis 1, produces, again, reproduces after their kind. So actually what we observe today is not inconsistent with what Genesis 1 has always taught, that things reproduce after their kind. So where else do we get no death before the fall in Scripture? It's there, obviously, in Genesis. When you read it, you'll find that God says everything was good. But it's not the only place which says that death was not there in the beginning. If you turn, for instance, to the book of Genesis, it says the wages of sin is death. And then it goes on to say, of course, that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's be clear that there really is an issue with the, I'm going to use the word sophistry, which is passed off as science, being against the Bible, there really is an issue between the imaginations of men saying that we evolved from apes, that that disagrees with the Bible. There definitely is a collision of that, but as I've already indicated to you, that isn't real repeatable science. In other words, they haven't got proof, and I'm going to come back to that and show you actually things are far worse for them than they think. It's not just a matter, oh, well, we haven't done enough experiments. Everything is indicating that it isn't the case at all. And let me just remind you of this verse, which I think I had at the beginning. There is a verse in the Bible which says in 1 Timothy 6, that, O Timothy, this is Paul speaking, 
towards the end of his life. Keep that which is committed to your trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. That's where the rub is. They are putting it up as though science has actually disproved the Bible, but actually it's their imaginations which are against the Bible. So the Bible clearly does teach, not just in Genesis, that there is no death before the fall. I just put up that verse about Romans 6. But there is another verse, and it's in 1 Corinthians 15. You know it says all the way through Genesis 1, that God saw what he had made, it was good. It was good, all the way through Genesis 1. So Genesis is definitely teaching that there was no death. Everything was good and perfect. Because in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says to, God says to Adam, in the day that you eat thereof, verse 17, sorry, in the day that you eat of the fruit, Adam, you will surely die. So we know that Genesis is teaching that there was no death. Genesis 1 is saying that everything was good. Now, the verse that I was thinking of in the New Testament says, in 1 Corinthians 15, Since by man came death, so there it is, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so all in Christ shall be made alive. So, the Bible clearly is teaching that there was no death when God originally made Adam. It was due to his sin that death came. The wages of sin is death. Now, do you see how that cuts against evolutionary ideas? The imaginations of men, which are being passed off as science, but it's not real science, is seeking to say that man came out from the slime and he was some sort of pre-Adam-like pre or pre-human-like creature which was dying and having children and then gradually these ape-like men eventually became people. That is what the evolutionary idea is saying. But the Bible is clearly saying no, there was no death. No death before man sinned. So we need to see then that the Bible is definitely teaching that there was no evolutionary descent from apes or ascent, depending which way you want to think of it. Let me also say that the Bible teaches that creation was by God's voice in the beginning. All the way through Genesis 1 it says, and God said, and if we're not sure that that is really what's being stated, it says in the book of Hebrews that in Hebrews chapter 11, it actually says that God brought everything into being by the word of God. So it's not just in the Old Testament in Genesis, but in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So God spoke everything into existence. In John chapter 1, it makes it plain in verse 3 
that without him was not anything made that was made. Who is it speaking of? Christ. Because it's speaking of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then it goes on to say the in this wonderful prologue to John's Gospel, which, by the way, I was giving to... Um, to students, because I uh, Phil put me onto the Bradford Christian Union, and I went to them on Wednesday, and it was good to see them using John's Gospel. They have a special version of it, which is called Uncovered, and it highlights verses for students. It's done very well, and I was pointing people to John's Gospel afterwards in conversation. So it says in verse three, the same was verse two. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we, when you put all this together, you see that the person doing the main speaking is the Lord Jesus himself. Not to the exclusion of God the Father, because really the Trinity can never be split. God the Holy Spirit is there in the creation, moving upon the face of the waters. But so... He that hath seen me has seen the Father is the principle that's operating here. But God delights to use the voice of his Son to create everything. He delights to elevate his Son in everything. That's taught in Colossians chapter 1, that he might be all in all. But the point I want to get to you is that there is no doubt that the Bible teaches that there was no process because the same person using the same means 2,000 years ago calmed the Lake of Galilee just with one word, peace be still, or one phrase. With one sentence, Lazarus, come forth, he raises someone from the dead. There's no process involved, you see. Same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, using the same means, speech, Everything has to obey the voice of Christ. So do you see that there is no doubt when you read the scriptures carefully that the scriptures leave no room for evolutionary processes contrary to the people like the Faraday Institute in Cambridge, contrary to an organisation called Christians in Science, Contrary to an American organization called Biologos, you can look all these up on Google, you'll find Christian organization after Christian organization after Christian organization, which is capitulated to the evolutionary idea. And I'm saying they're not biblical. They are not biblical. What's the other thing that I just want to bring to your attention briefly? It's just these last two points that Adam was made from dust. He was not made from pre-existing living material. We're just talking about Adam. Obviously, I came from my mother, pre-existing living material. All of us here have come from our parents, pre-existing living material. But if you go back and back and back and back and back, eventually you come to Adam. And Adam was not made from pre-existing living material. What was he made from? Dust. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, so I'm sorry if I'm going out. Some of you, I'm, I know Adrian's heard this before, but, and probably Phil has as well, but it, I don't apologise for it because these are the four 
truths which I think you've got to see are utterly clear in Scripture. There's no argument. We may disagree about days, and John Lennox and I won't agree about days. Actually, I, th I don't think he's got it right because he's still leaving room for millions of years in gaps between days. I don't take that at all. Look, once you've established that there's no death before the fall, that creation is by God's spoken word, that Adam was made literally from dust, how can I prove this point? Then once you've established these, you see that there is really no room for any evolutionary idea. And I'll tell you where it comes from. Genesis 2 verse 7 says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So it just states it there. Well, people say, well, that could be a euphemism for sort of gradually evolving over millions of years. But you can't have that because after the fall, God says to Adam, you are dust and now you've taken of the fruit. Death is going to come in and you're going to die. Dust you are and unto dust you will return. So Adam is not going back to being a, some sort of uh -uh, ape-like creature from which he supposedly came, is he? We all know what happens when we die, sadly. We rot, to put it crudely. We go to literally dust. If you dig up my grandmother, which I won't wish you to do, but you'd just find dust if you dig me up, you know. Oh, sorry, thank you. Yeah, do come in. Uh, you would find dust. So, therefore, if we go literally to dust, do you see that this verse cannot be using the word dust in two different meanings in the same breath? It has to mean that Adam was literally made from dust. Now do you see that the Bible most definitely is not allowing an evolutionary position. So you might say, well, this is getting worse and worse. Are you saying then that we cannot accommodate any evolutionary ideas? And the answer is no, you can't. I'm saying that there really is a battle between science falsely so-called, not real science, but science falsely so-called, and the Bible, and it is a big issue. You cannot get away from it. You cannot say, oh, the Bible is just sort of a framework and we can sort of work out the details, but really we can accommodate. No, you can't. Now, the last one, but I won't, I don't want to, uh, I could get, say a lot more. And you might want to ask a few questions, but I want to come back to the science just to end with. Right? But I hope you see the way I've gone. It's not real repeatable science which is attacking the Bible. Right? It's the notions of men. Right? And then I've come to the Bible and I've said, well, can the Bible accommodate this sort of idea? And the answer is no. No way. Because you can prove very clearly that if the Bible's the word of God and it's speaking the truth, and surely we believe that as Christians. You cannot get round the very straightforward statements, not just in the old, but in the new, right? Now, what about this global flood? Was the flood just a, a, a little, little sort of pond in the Middle East? Well, quite a big pond, but, you know, not global. Is that what went on? And was Noah sort of just trying to escape sort of some sort of, let's say, the whole of the Middle East was underwater. Well, all he had to do was then go to some mountains nearby, didn't he? What's the point of building an ark? 
I mean, it's obvious immediately that something's awry. If you start saying it's a global flood, Genesis actually tells us that the whole of the high hills were covered. And if you're going to say that the flood came to a stop at the end, you've got a real problem, of course, because you've got a wall of water. You say, well, there was lots of mountains there. Well, in which case, those mountains weren't covered. So you've got a contradiction immediately if you're starting to say that the mountains were covered and yet they weren't covered at the edge. Doesn't make sense. But I tell you where really things do go wrong, it's when you come to Genesis 9. In Genesis 9, it says, I'm never going to do this again. And Noah, just to show you, I'm going to make a rainbow. And we sing it to the kids, no problem with that, but I hope you take it seriously. A rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant with man through Noah, because Noah is now the ancestor of the whole of the human race today. Obviously Adam originally, but now it's Noah. And he says, Noah, I'm never going to do this again. What's he not going to do again? Well, he's not going to flood the earth. Um <clears throat> What are you going to do if it was a local flood? When, in fact, in December, was it 2004, Boxing Day, a quarter of a million people died. Doesn't make sense, does it? If God is saying that he'll never do a local flood again, he's done it loads of times and he's broken, or he's allowed it loads of times, and that's broken his promise. So it doesn't fit, does it? Sendai, many other places, the, this has happened. Bangladesh has constantly known floods. We've had floods in this country where the whole of Carlisle and other places have been underwater. Friends of mine up there have suffered deeply uh, and lost their homes and all the rest of it. So do you see that the Bible actually is clearly saying, and the Lord said it, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. He compared what happened to Noah with Christ coming back to the whole world. So the implication is from Christ's words that the whole world was judged by a flood. 2 Peter 3, Peter actually speaks again of the flood compared in that case in 2 Peter 3 with the judgment by fire of this world at the end. So everything is pointing to the fact that the flood was global. Well, that then means that the rocks should show the flood. And, of course, they do. Now, let me just come back just for five minutes, two, if I may, just have four, three, four minutes. Is there somebody in the way? I think there's a, there's a car in the way. Is it mine? Well, it's a red car, so I have 16. Okay. Thank you. Sorry about that. I'm just going to spend five minutes more, if I may, because I want to come back to the science. I know I'm slightly over time, but if I could just come back to the science, I said I would. So just understand the argument. I'm saying it's not the real science which is attacking the Bible. It's the philosophy of men. I called it sophistry at one point. You know, these ideas coming over as science. Science falsely so-called. That's what's attacking the Bible. Then I said, well, could the Bible accommodate th these ideas? No, the answer is. The Bible is, as we'd expect, 
and authority in all areas, including history, and where it touches on science, not that it's primarily a science textbook, but where it touches on science, it gets it right. Okay? Now, so how do we resolve this? Well, I said I'd come back to the science. Now, the science <coughs> actually speaks about all sorts of things to do with rocks. It speaks about all things, all sorts of things to do with fossils. Now, remember I mentioned the flood. Now, if the Bible really is true, then there really was a worldwide flood. There really was water covering the whole world, which means that the fossils we would expect to be evidence of rapid burial. And may I say that this is a whole, obviously I can't do a whole talk, just, you know, I can only just summarise the points. But I've come here and Adrian has had the, uh, the men here. We've, uh, I remember last time I came, I had, we sat around tables and I showed you fossils, right? I could talk all about the fossils, now, I'm not an expert geologist, but I know that those fossils constantly show evidence of rapid burial. Even, even the small ones, you can see the fish, sometimes you can see the fish skin on them. Everything is telling you it was a rapid burial. Have you been seeing the Blue Planet series recently, David Attenborough? That is brilliant photography, but do you know he shot himself in the foot just 10 days ago? Because he showed, I think it was on the second one, or was it number, number three? Anyway, whatever one it was. He was talking about the deep sea, right, the deep ocean. And he talked about a sperm whale which had died and was floating on the top. I said to Juliet, come on, we'll, we'll see the fossilization. He's bound to tell us how it fossilized. Oh, no, no, he said. It all began to disintegrate and it became food, first of all, for the sharks. And he showed the sharks coming in, grabbing the dead sperm whale carcass. It was pretty gruesome. And then, you know, and then, then it was a lump of bones now at the bottom. I said, oh, maybe you'll show the bones fossilized. No, no. Then he showed worms eating the bones. And be, to be frank, he said himself, there's very little left. Huh? What's going on here? I thought we were saying that these creatures fossilise. No, they don't. They actually disintegrate. And yet we've got loads and loads of fish fossils. Other than plants, fish are the most prolific in the fossil record. What's that telling me? That there really was a catastrophic worldwide flood. And even the rocks themselves, if we look at them properly, are mainly water-based rock. If you go to North Wales, you see huge cliffs of, uh, of really lines of what we call strata. You go to any of the coasts, you go to Whitby, you can see all the strata. Our nation, our British Isles, is full of cliffs all around the sides. Not all, everywhere, obviously. But you can see that there's been layering due to the worldwide flood. So I'm saying that when you do your homework properly... And when you look at the rocks, they actually show even the rocks, apart from the fossils, rapid layering, rapidly being put down, rapidly being laid down and then pushed up by 
huge forces in the past. So that's the geology summarising it in two minutes. But obviously you've got to look at the material to understand all this and to go into it. Obviously the issue of radioactive dating will come up, which I haven't been able to comment on tonight, but I have talked about that on previous occasions. It's all to do with assumptions. Actually, those dates they think are so sure of, they're not sure of at all. There's all sorts of things which are showing you that the dates are actually wrong. Major assumptions are being made which they cannot prove. The other thing I just wanted to point you back to is that when a creature reproduces, it produces after its own kind. Monkeys produce monkeys. Human beings produce human beings. The connection between us is not their friends. Apes are built not for walking vertically. Human beings are built for walking vertically. You have something at the bottom of your body, two of them, which are unique. Do you know what they are? Feet. Your human foot is unique. There is no other creature which has anything remotely like a foot, which has a heel, right? Whereas apes and monkeys have basically another hand. And they can walk on their fourth, their second pair of hands. They can even sort of just about do a vertical walk. And of course an orangutan and the big apes can do that. But they're much more comfortable in a stooped environment, stooped uh, walk, stooped gait as it were. And with their long arms they really become what we call knuckle walkers. So... I could talk to you about the science, you'll have to just say, ask me again to come back or else talk with those who've heard me before on this and I have talked here on these matters. What I'm saying is that the science, the actual repeatable science, the observational science, doesn't give credence to the evolutionary position anyway. So to close with, if a person who is trying to say, oh well, I'll believe in evolution and the Bible. They are both not right with the Bible and they're not right with the science. They're actually, on both counts, going wrong. And may I suggest that the best thing to do is, even though not, not all of us can be experts on this, far from it, but don't regard the Bible as somehow you know, something which is not authoritative in this area, it is. The Lord Jesus Christ bled and died on the cross in order to take our sin. Come back to what that verse that we quoted at the beginning. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When he died on that cross, he was taking the penalty for sin. Death came as a result of sin and we destroy actually the gospel if we try to say that there was death there before. Just say that I'm not selling books tonight but if you want to get hold of this new book that I've got which uh, Stuart Burgess and myself put together with Brian Edwards who's a very good theologian 
and we've got all sorts of pages on different subjects. So there is some pages on the rocks which I quoted. There's pages on birds and pages on there's a, a whole couple of pages on Maxwell. But the, you know, on any subject here except genetics, we've got a double page spread. There's a double page spread on the Bombardier Beetle, right? Some of you like me talking on the Bombardier Beetle. Well, there it all is. And I wrote that section, as you can probably imagine. There's pages on flight, pages on the eagle, right, and the way it flies. So you might like to get hold of this. You can get it from day one um, uh, from the, their website. You can also get it from Answers in Genesis. It's only just come out. So I thought I'd just uh, tell you that, that that book is out and uh, it's... It's £20, I'm afraid, because it is a hardback book. And it's a coffee table book with lots of pictures. But you might like to get one or two copies of that, maybe for the church, and pass it around, because it's got a lot of information in it. My book, Genesis for Today, you can also get for de from day one. And another book which I produced last year, Genesis 1 to 11, it's a commentary on Genesis, so the first part of Genesis. So that's also available at at day one. So I hope that that's helped you to see that the way to understand this issue is that you must, un must see that it's not real science that's attacking the Bible. That the Bible can't accommodate these philosophies of men. The Bible stands unique and it tells us what happened. It doesn't tell us all the detail but it tells us sufficient. And that the real science that was my last rather quick point at the end. The real science shows that none of these things took place. Okay, may God bless you all and perhaps we should pray or is somebody going to pray for us? Are you going to pray? Okay, thank you very much again. And I'm just so encouraged by what you're doing here and I hope that that building will eventually get go up. I know all the plans that have been laid and uh, I've just so... So encouraged by the work that you do here at Sunbridge Road. May God bless you all. Thank you. Oh, uh, sorry, yes. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Yeah, I see. Uh, this, this last. Lord, I thank you so much that you are our mighty creator, Lord, that your power is so great and so infinite that you created our world, Lord, and you created us all in that six days, Lord. I thank you so much for your incredible works. I thank you for the evidence that's all around us, Lord. I pray that as we go forward, that we'll stand strong in our position, Lord, that you'll reinforce us and help us to stand up against a world that is fighting against us, Lord. I pray for Andy as he continues to be a beacon. Um, for this in his work Lord I pray that you'll give him many opportunities to share and many open hearts to hear and receive your word Lord and I pray for us as we go into this week I pray that you'll give us lots of opportunities to share our faith whether we know a lot in the um, about science and about these matters or whether we've got our own stories and our own things to share Lord I pray that you'll give us those opportunities where we can share with those non-Christians around us Lord and I pray that you'll keep us all well, Lord. Keep us strong. And I pray that this week will be a week that glorifies you. In your name. Amen. Amen.